Today, today is Graduate Sunday. Today is the day when we honor those who have persevered. You know, they just stuck with it. They made it uh, through high school or through college or sometimes through some specialty. We knew we've we've uh, uh, honored graduates from nursing school. There's, we would if we had a military person graduating from military school. Uh, but today is a unique gradu uh, graduate Sunday because we're honoring two young women who were born here. Now, I don't mean in this building, of course, uh, but I mean their parents were part of our church family when they were born, and they've grown up around here. And we've watched them from the time they were babies, uh, and little cute little toddlers, and I got a few pictures. Are they putting pictures up now? Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> it's fun. I don't have, you know, the, the picture that, that was shown earlier, that's you know, the beautiful girls, uh, the lovely young ladies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, those are the, you know, social media. This stuff here, you probably wouldn't put on social media, but they're fun to look at, you know. It, it's kind of like when you have your first boyfriend over and mom pulls out all the pictures or your first girlfriend over or something of that nature. But Casey Scott is graduating from Tate High School and Lainey Wetmore is graduating from Fort Walton Beach. Both of them were born in 2001 less than a month apart. Lainey was born on August the 25th and Casey on September the 21st. So Lainey's the oldest uh, of the two. They had joint baby showers, you know, right here uh, in this room. Their families have been close. They've been doing stuff together uh, all of their lives. So uh, that's the reason I say it's, it's just unique. I, I love it. It's as a pastor, what a privilege it is for me and what a thrill to have had just a teeny tiny part in the lives of these young ladies from the time of their birth all the way until now. And I say to you, Casey and to Lainey, uh, I love both of you young ladies and I want the best for you. Now, I'm sure that both Casey and Lainey have heard this question many times over the last few months, years or days or whatever. So what are you gonna do with your life, you know? And what's next? What are you going to do with, uh, with your life? Do you remember, by the way, if, uh, if you've already graduated, do you remember that? You know, so what are you going to do with, uh, with your life? Going to college? What kind of job? You want, what do you want to do? Now, some people have some very specific ideas and goals, you know? And they'll lay it out for you. They got every day of their life planned out for the next 20 years. Others are still trying to figure it out. Uh, when I graduated from high school, which was a long time ago, uh, some of my friends had it decided for them. They got drafted and went to Vietnam. You know, and what, they, what were their plans? They wanted to live until they got back again. That's probably about the only thing they were thinking about. Some of us either had rich parents or got college scholarships. I was in that second group, by the way. My parents didn't, didn't have anything. But, but I went to, so I went to college. It wasn't because I, I had planned for it wasn't because I had saved, you know, and had a real plan for my life, but because I had this guidance counselor in my high school who called me into the office, and she sat me down, she said, fill these papers out, and if they're not back in my office by tomorrow, I know where you live, and I'm coming over to your house and get them. And so I did. I filled it out. It was a college application. It was, you know, and I, I went to college uh, because of that. When I got there, I, I wanted to please dad, my dad, and I wanted to please God. And at that time, I was like one, you know, please, Dad, you're, you're pleasing God. But I still really had no plans, you know. I just had a four-year reprieve 
from making planes. Because I just, so I, I went on to college, uh, University of Miami, I'll have to say that, you know, I'm a, I'm a hurricane. But, uh, you know, math major, physics minor. Why in the world did you do that? Well, hey, I excelled in those areas when I was in high school. So in the back of my mind, I kind of had this idea that God probably has a plan for your life, you know? Uh, God probably wants you to do something. Everybody else seems to know what God wanted me to do, but I, I'm just kind of drifting along, you know, so I figured, well, math major, physics minor, I, I, I can do that. Uh, I, I work time. You know, anytime I wasn't in school, I was working, trying to have, make enough money to make it through, even though I had the, the academic scholarship. And uh, I just kind of scraped by, you know, just studied when I absolutely had to, but I made pretty good grades, but it got rough, rough the second semester, you know, and finals were coming up. We've been talking about, <laughs> I've talked about finals to some of you. Uh, finals were coming up, and there's nothing like the pressure of final exams to make you get serious, because I was going to lose my scholarship if I didn't get things up pretty well. So in the spring of 1967, I went and had a talk with Dad. I wasn't... You know, my, my relationship with God probably wasn't everything that it should have been. So I went to the next best thing, my dad, who was also my pastor. And coming out of that, I decided I'm going to do what God wants me to do. He wanted me to become a pastor. I'd always kind of known that. So I changed my major to history and religion, went ahead and got my BA, went, to, uh, went on and did some other things. And, and uh, I, I, over the years, I tried to do the best that I could what God wanted for me. So, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do? Now, let me say that many of the things I'll say today is for everybody. You know, some of the things may be for very specifically, but uh, what, what are you going to do with your life? None of us knows exactly how things are going to work out. We, even if you have the greatest plan in the world, you don't know for sure how things are going to work. But if we do our best to follow God's leadership, he will work in our lives for the better. I'm not saying everything's going to be good. But if we do our best to follow God's plan for our lives, things will work out for the better. Today I've chosen to read a passage of Scripture, a kind of back to one of my favorite passages that I use every once in a while. It features a, an Old Testament promise repeated for New Covenant believers. That's, that's us, those, all of us who have called on Christ. In the New Testament book that's called Hebrews, this, this inspired manuscript that helps make up the New Testament, and one of the main feature, uh, unique features of this, uh, this manuscript, by the way, is that nobody know who, who knows who wrote it for sure. It's anonymous. I'm sure the people in the first century knew, but we don't know now. The name given to this book in the first century, which is Hebrews, and its content suggests that it was written to Jewish Christians who were tempted to go back you know, go back to the old way of doing things. The overall theme of the book is the priority of Christ. So Jesus is better than everything. He's better than everything else, especially everything that had gone on before that time. Jesus was better, better than anything. If you're attracted to something other than Jesus, Jesus is really better. And near the end of this, this, this book called Hebrews, chapter 11, there's this list of people called the heroes of faith, you know, that are great examples for us and how they, they went through hard times, but they still did what God wanted them to, to do. And then in the, the, uh, the last chapter, Hebrews 13, often referred to as the epilogue, 
Do you ever write a paper, want to know what an epilogue is? An epilogue is a section of a speech or the end of a book or a play or something like that that serves as a comment or on or a conclusion to what's been said or what's happened. And the author often concludes with a specific set of instructions. And in this particular book, the author of Hebrews kind of brings his, his, this manuscript together, uh, gives us specific instructions on how we believers worship God acceptably and become pe the people God intends us to become. And for today, we're going to talk about and how he helps us focus. You know, focusing on what's really important is a difficult thing. When Tom and I play golf, I don't know if I've ever told Tom this, but one of the main problems I have is I look down at the golf ball and I cannot keep my focus on that little white ball. I try to pick a point, you know, a dot or something, and I look at it and I go to swing and my eyes go all over the place, you know, and then I, I hit about that far behind the ball, you know, when it comes down. I cannot, just focus is so important in everything you do. So we're going to uh, spend a little bit of time in Hebrews chapter 13, the first six verses, and it culminates with a, a, a promise from God, and that promise is, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The verses leading up to that great promise are some moral directions that will enable us to worship, be who he wants us to be. So I'm going to read the context. The first few verses or about our relationship with others, beginning with other believers, our brothers. So let's begin. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. You know, love is the law. And we just can't get away from that thing because that's what the New Testament is all about. That's what Jesus is, is all about. Jesus told his followers one time, he said, this is how everyone is going to know that you're my followers. If you build a building with a big steeple on top of it. No. He said, this is how everybody's going to know that you're my followers if you love each other, if you express for one another. So the author concludes his letter by encouraging us, keep on loving each other like brothers and sisters because if you don't love it, it doesn't make any difference what other stuff you do and how important you look do you love each other? Uh, keep on loving one another. Feel for each other. Comfort each other. Support each other. And remember that the person who professes love for God has to love his brother or his sister as well. Treat your family, both your, your spiritual family and your, your biological family, with respect and honor. The Apostle Paul put it like this in, 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 in a letter he wrote called Romans, chapter, be devoted to one another in love. Just, you know, you belong to each other. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself, above ourselves. Another translation of that puts it like this. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And by the way, it's hard to do that unless you spend time with them. With, with your spiritual family and with your, your, your biological family. Both are important. Spend some time with each other. And then the author of Hebrews moves on to strangers. Verse 2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The Christian virtue of hospitality was concerned with 
aiding traveling Christians, you know, because people, there were no hotels and motels, and sometimes Christians were running for their lives uh, in these ancient days. And, and so you would, you would give them a place to stay with you, and you would feed them. So we're to be careful about how we treat strangers. Be sure we treat them with kindness and respect. We need to go beyond thinking of ourselves and think about others. And by the way, this, this whole thing about some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, they're speaking specifically about a couple of guys in the Old Testament called Abraham and Lot. There's no indication that we're necessarily going to entertain strangers, but here's what it is. It's an illustration of how important it is to think about people that you don't know, people that God puts in your path. And then the third group of people that he says we should show love for prisoners. Verse three, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who mistreated you as if you yourselves were suffering. Again, this probably refers to those who were in prison for their faith. You know, a lot of, a lot of Christians were getting put in prison and so forth. And Roman prisons weren't a place to get punished. They were a place to wait until you got punished. <laughs> and usually that wasn't nice because you weren't gonna live very long afterward afterward but uh, uh, so you get dropped in this hole and sometimes you didn't get anything to eat unless somebody brought you something and so God says remember prisoners like you were right there with them remember how bad it is don't say well then they probably deserve it uh, but but help them if you can and of course beyond that God cares about prisoners and so should we next the author discusses sexual purity with a statement about marriage Hebrews 13 4 marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. In Jesus' teaching, the only sexual expression or that Jesus recognized was one man, one woman who are married. That's it. Everything else uh, was harmful. By the way, there have been studies of cohabitation, that is living together before marriage, uh, indicating that when, when people do that, and a whole bunch of people do, by the way, I mean, it's yes, very common today, of course, but you know, studies indicate that there's a higher chance for abuse in that kind of a relationship. And if the couple eventually gets married, there's a higher chance of divorce. Not that everybody gets divorced, not that everybody gets abused, and I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you take a look at statistics and there's a higher chance of those things. But I will say this, faithfulness, faithfulness in marriage is essential to a healthy life and to serving God, it's good for you. It's good for you to be faithful in marriage. Finally, the author of Hebrews moves on to our relationship with stuff, which is where we're gonna spend most of our time today. In Jesus' teaching, he makes it clear that money, stuff, wealth, is the main competitor with God in our lives. It's not all this other stuff that's out there, it's stuff, it's money, it's wealth. You can't serve God in stuff, that's what Jesus said. Hebrews 13, verses five and six. And this is what we'll look at for the next few minutes. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, there's the promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Verse six, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Well, mere mortals can do a lot. <laughs> they, can do a, they can put you out of business and kill you and do a bunch of stuff. But the idea is, is God is there. And, and, and God is the one who's with you for eternity. So these verses get to the heart of, of, our, of our worries and our concerns in this life and give us some good advice about how to focus 
you know, if I could just focus on that golf ball, I know I could do a better job uh, uh, of hitting it. And, and I don't know what it is. I, I want to focus on it, and then, you know, I just, I'm just all over the place, and I miss it. And so this is a little bit about how to focus, how to focus your life, and the first is this. Uh, stop comparing yourself to other people. I'm, I'll tell you where I got that. Stop comparing yourself to other people. I realized today, social media, comparing ourselves to others, probably one of our greatest failures. And, and it, it hurts and it keeps us from seeing what's really important in life. But stop comparing yourself to others. Hebrews 13, 5, the first phrase says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Now, we can all agree it's nice to have a little money, right? Have to have food, have to have transportation, have to have clothing, need a place to live, and we got other stuff we like to do with money at all. Money's not the issue. Money's not the issue. Money, money is not an evil thing. This is about the love of money or making the pursuit of money the primary objective of your life. And if you get distracted by uh, stuff, then what's gonna happen is that you're gonna lose the focus on the primary thing. First Timothy chapter six, the apostle Paul wrote this to a young guy named Timothy. Those who want to get rich, those who make their lives about money, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It, it, the, the, they lost their focus, they thought that making money was more important than anything else in the world, and it plunges them into ruin and destruction. Don't lose your focus by thinking that money is the way to go. Verse 10, for the love of money, that's it, that's the problem, the love of money, not the lack of money, that, there can be some problem involved in that too. I, uh, you know, I acknowledge that. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. Hebrews is talking about greed, having a strong desire for things, mere material possessions that overcomes everything else. The King James Version and New King James translations of this use the word covetousness. I like that word covetousness because it, it implies an inordinate desire for what somebody else has. And that's what leads us to this thing, stop comparing yourself to other people. Okay, you know, I like stuff. And God says I shouldn't love money or love stuff or be covetous, so how do I do that? How, how do I not be covetous? How do I not love money? Well, again, I go back to covetousness implies an inordinate desire for another's possession. Desiring to improve yourself, that's a good thing. Desiring to take pr proper care of your family, that's a good thing, that's not covetousness. Covetousness has to do with always wanting what somebody else has. That's what gets us in trouble. And that's where the stop comparing yourself to other people thing comes in, right? Uh, achieve, excel, be the best you can be. But don't do it just because somebody else, uh, it, you might think badly of you if you don't do a certain thing. Why do I always want what somebody else has? Why is that? Why is it I always want somebody else has? Well, here's the answer. I want what others have because I compare myself with them and what they have. Sometimes I'm just comparing myself to this person that doesn't even exist. They're just trying to sell me something, you know? Uh, sometimes 
I, I, I'm looking at something in social media which makes a person look way better than they actually are. You know, they, you, you know what it's like. I post, you know, terrible stuff when I post, but you know how to do it. You know how to use the right filters and make everything look perfect and make you look better than, than you really look. If you want to be able to properly focus your life, stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing yourself to what somebody else has accomplished and feeling like, well, I wasn't able to do what they are, so I must be a failure. Stop comparing yourself with, with what they have and what they drive and what they live in. No one is as good as they look in social media. So stop comparing yourself to others. Here's the second thing uh, that is mentioned. How to focus your life is enjoy what you have. Stop comparing yourself to others. Enjoy what you have. Back to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content. Be content with what you have. Well, how can I do that? How can I be content? How can I be satisfied with what I have? Because I know what she has, and it's newer and bigger and better and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, just a couple of things. First of all, I can appreciate what God has given me. How do I do that? Well, list it. Count your blessings. List them in your mind. Write them down. Thank God for the good things he's put in your, your life. Now, the best things that God has put in your life is people. Thank God for the people he's put in your life. People who love you. People who support you. People who want what they can get out of you but people who want the best for you, including your family and your church family. You have a place to live? You can thank God for that. You have something to drive? You can thank God for that. You got stuff? You can thank God for all that stuff. You have time and you have friends to help you have fun with that time? God for that. You have youth. You have health. Thank God for that. You have opportunity. You have abilities. Thank God for all those things. Appreciate what God has given you. Then number two, I can enjoy what God has given me. I thank God for it. And then enjoy it. You know, just, just have a good time with what God has given you. Spend time with it. Spend time with your family. Spend time if you're, if you're married. Spend time with your spouse. Don't be everywhere else all the time. Spend time with your parents. Spend time with your, your children. Stop comparing what God has given you to what he has given to other people. Appreciate the education have. You know, I can remember for years after I graduated from college, I would just, I would thank God every day. Thank you. You allowed me to go to college. You know, I've, I've forgotten to do that for a few years now, but you allowed me to go to college. Believe that. Uh, and I didn't have much student loan when I got out. I was even better. <clears throat> Appreciate your house. You could be living in a cardboard box. A lot of people don't even have that. A lot of people in our city don't even have that. Appreciate your physical appearance. Appreciate all your stuff. Ask God to help you realize that you're blessed beyond what you deserve. You know, we look around, I don't have what everybody else has. It's not fair. But actually, I am blessed beyond what I deserve. <clears throat> I have a, I mention that every once in a while. I have a motorcycle. It's, it's almost 20 years old now. And a lot of other motorcycles look a whole lot better. Uh, you know, but I have a, a motorcycle. And sometimes when I'm riding on a back road and it's cool, the weather's perfect, and I'm enjoying the sights, and 
the sounds and the wind and the smells. And I have to say to God, Lord, I can't believe it. I'm riding a motorcycle. You know, you let me do this great thing. I don't need it. I don't need it. Who needs to ride a motorcycle, right? The people with a death wish. Uh, I don't need it. I don't deserve it, but wow. I'm out here on this beautiful afternoon on Highway 99 going up through the woods towards Molino, you know, through Molino uh, on a motorcycle. I get to play golf. Golf. Nobody needs to play golf. Nobody needs that. You, you don't need that to survive. Uh, uh, in, in a couple of weeks, I requested to play with Kayla at Tiger Point, you know, in an adult junior tournament. Her dad is deployed and he asked me to take his place. Somebody's got to do it, right? <laughs> How about you? How about you? What kind of luxuries do you have? Uh, what do you take for granted? Because uh, you're always comparing yourself to other people. And you and you got this this wonderful stuff and these wonderful people who are in your life, and you get sidetracked. You don't focus on what's important because you keep looking at other things. Enjoy what you have. And just one more thing. The third thing is this: trust God. How to focus your life? Trust God. Look back at Hebrews thirteen five. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God has made this great promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. <clears throat> Some, I don't always feel that way, by the way. But I've learned that it is true. That quotation, by the way, is a paraphrasing of something God said several times to different people in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis, but it's most clearly seen in a promise made to ancient Israel just before Moses died, before the Israelites went into the promised land, Canaan. Deuteronomy 31, 6, God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And that was to Moses. And then God said to Joshua, who took over from Moses, Joshua 1.5, no one will be against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. Say, God does not make that. I'm going to give you military victories and, and, and you're going to wipe people out. And God doesn't promise us that. But the author of the book of Hebrews says, but God, here's what God has promised us. Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Ne never will I forsake you. That's not just for them. That's for you. That's for us. And because of that, verse 6 says, so we say with confidence, with courage, with boldness, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I've been in a few tights sometimes where for a while there, it was dad. You know, I call on him. He'd come take over and get me out of the jam that I was in. And then sometimes you realize, hey, I'm the guy that everybody goes to to get them out of a jam. Go to God. Even if you have little material wealth and power, you have God. God never said you wouldn't have troubles and failures. We live in a broken world. And that doesn't help. But, and, and, and graduates, Laney, 
Kixie, I wish I could say to you, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. But it won't be. You know, it's not going to be great all the time. Stuff is going to happen, and you won't know why, and you wonder uh, about it, and you want to quit. But don't do that. God has promised that he'll always be with us to help us. We're never alone. Now, I don't know about you, but my lowest moments in life have always come when I thought I was by myself, that if I didn't do it, it wasn't going to get done. And, and, and <clears throat> it just, the whole way the whole world was on many. A lot of people commit suicide when they get there. They just lose hope. I can't do this. It's too much. I quit. God says he will always be with us, and he will. He'll always be with you, Laney. He'll always be with you, Casey. So, I'm just going to say it one more time here. To properly focus your life, number one, stop by, start by stopping. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Most of our worries stem from what others might think or how we compare to others or we might lose some of our stuff. <clears throat> so, stop that. Number two, enjoy what you have. <clears throat> stop thinking about what you don't have. There's a lot of stuff we'll never have. Stop thinking about what you don't have. And I'll say this, if you can't enjoy what you have right now, right now, whatever it is, you, it is unlikely that you will enjoy what you get tomorrow. Because you'll, there's always something else. There's always something else. There's always something else. You think, well, if I just get this job or if I just marry this person or if I just get through school, everything will be good. No. No, it's always something else. Enjoy what you have right now. There's a high possibility that you're going to look back one day and say, wow, I didn't know how good I had it, right? And the final thing is this, trust God. He's promised that he will always be with you. You won't feel his presence all the time, but he's promised he's going to be there. I'm going to read Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 one more time, a little different translation. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you, verse 6. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? When it comes to trusting God, I'm going to read you this last passage of Scripture right here. This is, if I have to pick one verse in all the Bible, this is it. Jesus is speaking. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. That's what this salvation stuff and born again stuff going to heaven stuff, that's it right there. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, he who hears my word and believes, places his faith and trust in the one who sent me has right now eternal life. That means you and God together forever. That's what eternal life is. No, no gold and silver and all that kind of stuff. Just you and God together forever. He moves in. He never moves out. When you die, he's with you. Very truly, whoever hears my word and believes him that sent me has eternal life and will not be judged never be adjudicated guilty, but it's crossed over from death to life. So, what are you going to do <clears throat> with your life? Everybody, what are you going to do with your life? Um, you don't have to have it all planned out. But ask God for wisdom. Make, make some really good decisions because there's a whole world of stuff out here. And I'd say to getting ready to graduate and before, Wow, you still have all the cho choices open to you. You know, it's wide open. A lot of opportunities for good and bad. We always have to ask, what am I going to do?
Now, I know, in case you don't want to come down front, but I'm going to ask you to come down front right now if you don't mind, because uh, all the preaching part's over with. <clears throat> and uh, I would like for these young ladies to come, and their families are here, and, and I'm going to thank with parents, uh, grandparents, uh, things of that nature. You know, this is Laney, this is Casey, right, right here. There used to be a lot more difference in their height than there is now, but uh, Laney is catching up. Uh, now, I want to first of all say to you, uh, young women, thank you from my perspective. I love both of you. I'm proud of you. And I'm proud that I had a teeny, teeny, tiny little part uh, in your lives. And so thank you for that. And I want to encourage you and let you know that all that stuff I said today, that, that's not preacher stuff, you know, for Sunday morning. It's all true stuff. And I want to encourage you to try to focus uh, your life, uh, let you know that this church family right here cares about both of you. Your family cares about you, but your church family does. And when you need something extra, I, I want you to uh, call on us, okay? We used to, <clears throat> these cards, you know, put a, I start to say we've, we've, we've progressed in what we do for graduates. First, used to be a Bible with your name in gold on the front, and then it went to a gift certificate, the Lifeway. Now it's just cash. But uh, I know that you'll appreciate that a lot better, and I would like, uh, I would like to pray with you before, you before you leave, okay? Father in heaven, <clears throat> we love you above all else, but you teach us that the way that we love you is by loving others. And so I, I ask you to give us that ability. I thank you for Laney and for Casey. Uh, I know they have a lot of decisions uh, other than just where they're going to school. A lot of decisions in front of them. Every day they have to make decisions. And I ask you to let them feel your love and your presence. And, and God, I ask you to guide them in focusing their lives so that they can be the best possible for you. In Jesus' name.